From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, February 7th, 2019. This is episode 90, Spotify Buys Podcasting. Welcome back to Download, where we cover the most interesting technology stories of the week. I am Jason Snell, joined as always by Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Jason. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? I am good. It's very windy outside, so if uh, you just hear me like screaming off mic, it's because I'm being blown away. Okay. Okay. Literally blown away by this week's weather. <laughs> Something like that. Sure. This is a, the show where we talk about the most interesting technology stories of the week. As we've said, we have a couple of guests coming up later. Uh, very exciting. Uh, Natalie Jarvie is going to be here from The Hollywood Reporter to talk about the big podcasting news. Stephen, have you heard about the big podcasting news that Spotify oh, bought, week. bought podcasting? <laughs> the the entire thing. The concept of podcasting. Yeah, they did. They did. They just uh, wrote a big yeah. check for podcasting to Mr. Mm-hmm. Podcast. Yeah, well, Podrick that's, uh, that's J. Sir, Cast, Sir podcast now. owner of podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah, they're now Spotify fasts. Oh no, something like that. I don't know. Anyway, Natalie will be Get here out. to break it down uh, because Stephen was like, "Don't, don't, don't talk to me about it. Don't talk to me about it. I own a podcast network," and I thought that's a good idea. We'll talk to Natalie Jarvie about it, and then um, Jeremy Burge, our friend, is going to be on. Uh, he did his big Emojipedia post. I think the post he lives for the most for the entire year, which is that uh, the the committee that he sits on, actually the Emoji Subcommittee of the Unicode Consortium, has come out with their final approvals for what the new emoji are going to be the new emojis for 2019 that will be showing mm-hmm. up this fall on phones everywhere and computers everywhere and it's a little bit i mean and people roll their eyes at the emoji thing or they use the emoji eye rolling thing anyway uh but the fact is imagine if somebody announced every year that there were four more letters i would be kind of a big story right <laughs> like it would be a big story like we we added four letters now there's like 30 letters in the alphabet and people be like wow what are these new letters and when am i going to be able to use them so we'll talk to jeremy about all of the different colored shapes that are being added to the emoji palette <laughs> i mean i mean you joke but there's there's some like meaningful changes this yes. year that I, th- I mean he can explain it better than we can but i'm i'm really excited that the the unicode group is is reaching wider in terms of uh diversity and emoji it's a big deal this year yeah they're trying to address some uh i feel like at this point there's so many fundamental concepts have been handled by emoji that a lot of what they're doing is they're trying to fill in the gaps where they have you know the base assumptions of emoji back in the day when it was a very tiny set of images on phones in japan uh you know obviously as it's expanded there have been places that have not been properly served so uh, they're filling in the gaps and jeremy sits on the committee so i'm sure he'll have more perspective on uh mm-hmm. sort of what they're looking for philosophically and uh and uh he's the man to talk to about emoji basically so we got him later on um but uh before we do that you and i should probably talk about all the other non-podcast and emoji related is there an emoji for podcasts uh jeremy get on it uh everything else one that's happening everything (laughs) else yeah spotify bought it though it's unfortunate um everything else that's going on this week in the world of tech and i I think we have to start with the apple uh, executive shuffle 
question, yeah. which is that Angela Arendt, who five years ago was hired by Apple from Burberry, where she had been CEO for nearly a decade, to run Apple Retail after the disastrous uh, brief run of a guy named John Browett, who had come from the UK and uh, was a bad cultural fit for Apple. But basically, yes. Ron Johnson, who had set up with Steve Jobs the entire Apple retail store concept, left Apple. Uh, they had this bad hire, and then they brought in Angela Arendt, uh who went from being a CEO to being a an, an executive vice president at a much larger company, but still, uh, and left the fashion industry for this other kind of industry uh she is leaving apple and her replacement at least for now i mean i'm i'm not 100 percent sure that this is a long-term solution but they have promoted their head of hr essentially it was once called personnel then it was called human resources now it's called people so personnel might be just around the corner anyway uh she's going to be in charge of retail and people because Mm -hmm. uh what makes retail but people yeah. And uh, that's so, so Stephen, you yourself were once an Apple retail employee. That's true. In the Ron Johnson <laughs> era. So I am, I come to yeah. you because you know about these things. Uh, tell me what's, what the heck is going on here? What do you think? I should preface all this saying that I left over 10 years ago. So there's a, <laughs> no, no, a no, you are, you are, you are you've got your pulse on the, okay, fine. Fair, sure. fair, you know, I, but you can I, fix I, an I, iBook. So that's true. I do have that skill. Next time that comes up, <laughs> just send me a note. Okay. I think it's super interesting. You know, Apple retail up until Ron Johnson leaving had been basically like the same sort of recipe basically the entire time. And uh, he left and it, like you said, it really struggled. It was actually without an executive position for a while. Tim Cook managed it uh, himself for a bit. But uh, when Angela came in, it marked a, a like a distinct new era in Apple retail, and I am sure some of that was already in the works before she showed up. But she's the public face of it, so we, you know, I at least kind of link the changes that happened in the store to to her, where they became much more upscale in terms of design and like furnishings and fixtures. Like if you're in, been in an Apple store that's been remodeled, like the one here in Memphis was, it's like a genuinely beautiful place to be. And they've really pushed that further and further. It used to just be that like the big, you know, the glass cube in New York or like the beautiful glass staircase in San Francisco. Those were like the highlight stores, like architecturally different and really beautiful. And they've attempted to push that down market into like my Apple store is like an outdoor mall. It's like nothing special, but yeah. you walk inside, it's, it's a beautiful place. Um, and that's fine. But I think there are, uh, with that came some changes that not everyone loves, including people like in the service department, where I came from, I was a Mac genius for a long time, where they sort of blurred the, the lines between retail and service and, in the old stores, it was very clear, like you were in retail, like in the red zone is what they call it. And then you're in the family room, where like the geniuses and creatives and like today at Apple, all, all that stuff is. And over time, those things have become more intermixed. And I think the downside of all that is that stores are, they feel at least more chaotic than they used to. Totally. They've, they're definitely busier. And like, it's hard to separate this from Apple is like drastically larger than it was 10 years ago, right? right. That's a huge impact on right. the stores. Like the number of humans they stuff into them 
is ever increasing. I mean, it feels like success on, on, on one scale, right? The, the fact that they're busy and chaotic on one level is a sign of Apple's success and success in retail. Um, but it is a it has a negative impact too, which is it's the old uh, I don't go anymore. Uh, or nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded, right? The right. Yogi Berraism, like it is a less pleasant place to be because it is, it is so busy. And I don't know how much of that we can lay at like at her feet. Uh, I think some of it is due to like the design changes that were made, and some of it is that they're busier. And like I said, it's, it's hard to tell what's what there. But clearly, like in the in the days since this was announced, there's been more backlash against her, like in the Apple community, than I expected. I expected some, especially from people who, like, are within retail. People really like loved her leadership, and she was very hands on. She was always in the stores. Like, she seemed like a really like genuinely nice person to work for. But some of like the process and structural changes within the store, not everyone was mm-hmm. a fan of. So my question now is like, how, so where do they move? Ford, you know, in a way, like Apple retail is Apple's largest department. Like Apple doesn't really have departments, but like if you think about it that way, it's the largest group of people. Uh, they have seventy thousand retail employees, according to Apple PR, and and Apple PR also says that they have uh, over a hundred thousand employees in general. So like most of Apple is the Apple Store, the five exactly, locations. which is why I think uh, on one level, having the person who's in charge of HR and retail be uh, connected is not totally, you know, like out of bounds because sure. it is the bulk of Apple's workforce is Apple Store. Um, so on the, on that level, it makes sense. I do wonder, you know, yeah, you said this on uh, you and Federico had a good conversation. Mike was there too. No, sorry, I'm just unconnected this week. Sorry, Mike. Uh, Federico talked about how he thought that the Apple retail store was a Rorschach test for whatever yeah. your feelings are about Apple retail. Totally. You're going to put you're going to you're going to get it out when you're talking about Angela Arons. Um I think there's a lot of revisionism out there about. Um, people saying current gripes about the store and saying and putting it on her like Mm -hmm. apple was a weird uh we don't have a line i don't know where to go store way before angela aarons took over like that was already a problem of i don't know quite where to go they had already done weird stuff with the store where it felt weird um i don't think i could heap that on her um, they didn't fix it, right? They didn't change it, and that's what I keep coming back to. Knowing, you know, knowing nothing on the inside other than knowing some people who who work there or have worked there recently. Um, the thing that strikes me about this is, I think Angela Arons did what she was hired to do, which mm-hmm. is create the, you know, this idea that the Apple Store is more than just a retail outlet. It is a place people want to go, and leaning into that and doing programming and they launched their whole new today at apple thing um their their new version of that just launched which is kind of weird timing wise um and and people's complaints are often about the retail side of it which is i don't care about the programs you're doing to teach me how to make music or do photography i want to buy an ipad and i'm confused about that i you know my experience with that has been better lately that they seem to have at some point in the last year uh, at least at my local store they put people on the door who intercept you on the way in and say what are you here for uh go stand over there and somebody will come and take care of you and it's weird But it but it works. I just wonder if maybe this is a story about Angela Arons doing what she was hired to do, and Apple at some point in the last five years, Apple's top execs and Tim Cook in particular, saying 
that's not what we want anymore. Like, especially as the iPhone sales are flattening and they're trying to use these stores as a an engine for sales, maybe a little bit more than they were uh, originally uh, in thinking about it. Like, the sales will take care of itself. Let's make this a party. I wonder if maybe now they're saying, no, actually, this is not, we don't want this to be a party. We want this to be a place where we uh, churn through more revenue and that Angela Arendt's, uh is not you know that was not what she was hired to do also remember the apple watch thing which is apple watch's original conception was fashion and she comes from the fashion business and they did a lot of fashion industry things and they've completely kind of like backed away from from you fashion mean you didn't buy a solid gold apple watch? Uh, it turns out <laughs> i uh i did not right and so that, i wonder if that's part of the calculation too but it just it feels like uh, you know some people are taking all their gripes and heaping them on her i i don't know the way i read it is that she did exactly what she was hired to do uh but that might not be what they want anymore and maybe Maybe and and that and when people talk about like did she jump or was she pushed I start to think um, this might be totally mutual in the sense that Apple needs to has reconceptualized where they want to go with retail and it's not a place she's interested in going and so they just go their separate ways that that's a perfectly reasonable read on this is just that the, it's changed in the last five years and it's not uh, the, the stuff they want to do is not stuff she wants to do. Uh, yeah, or, or the truth somewhere in the middle, right? Sure, she, she was just interviewed uh, in Vogue Business, and the uh, the editor or the reporter who worked on that had something on Instagram. I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, basically saying that you know they had talked about her wanting to get back to London where her family is, and like you know maybe it's the the ground is shifting at Apple, and re- they want to do something different with retail and. She's been there five years. She's had a very successful career, and I'm sure she'll she'll pop up somewhere with a project of her own. Sure. She's very successful and yeah. v- amazingly talented. She's going to be the CEO of some fashion house that's based in London, right? Like, yeah. uh, it would not surprise me at all if her next thing is, you know, a step up even more from where she was with Burberry. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think all in all, like if, if we if we sort of back up a little bit, it's been really an amazing run at Apple Retail. They have scaled up much more aggressively than they had in the past. And, you know, maybe we could address some of this to growing pains or maybe slightly misunderstanding what users wanted. Mm -hmm. And time will tell, right, what Apple thinks about that, right? If we start seeing changes over the next few years, because look, nothing's going to change quickly. Sure. If we start to see things shift over the next couple of years, then we can look back on this and say, okay, well, they were at a point and they wanted to change course. Or if they stay the same, then, you know, maybe it's that she wanted to go um, do something else with her career. That's totally fine, too. Facebook is 15 years old. Happy birthday, Facebook. Uh, The New York Times did a spectacular uh, anniversary video of Facebook in the style of Facebook anniversary videos, except with all like the stories of all the terrible things that have been reported about Facebook. That was quite a burn, quite a Mm -hmm. burn on Facebook. We, We have a link to that tweet in the show notes. If you haven't seen this, like... Stop listening to us. Go this. It is. You have to watch it a couple times because it's so dense. Mm -hmm. It is like the most perfectly crafted thing I've seen on the internet in some time. It is so so good. Yeah, fire emoji basically is my response to it. It is. It is (laughs) amazing. Yeah. So this is it. Fifteen years though. The the we have this product, this uh, website that has had impact globally on elections and political discourse and it has embroiled itself in all these scandals and been the subject of uh, regulation with more threatened regulation to come i think it's interesting to note that it is only 15 years old um 
when I was a kid reading science fiction novels, one of the one of the concepts that popped up in science fiction novels all the time was the idea of the singularity, which is the idea that change change keeps uh, the rate of change keeps growing. And at some point, you reach a point where uh, change is exponential, where like literally everything changes immediately all the time, and it's impossible for the human mind to comprehend that. And what would that be like? And the idea was that's the singularity. It's a moment where like history breaks down and all that. And I say this just to say, when you think that Facebook has only been around for 15 years, you can kind of feel that accelerating rate of change in our world, because it is a global world-changing bit of culture and technology and it uh you know it's if it's 15 it's 15 it would be in uh high school it would be (laughs) right it's Mm -hmm. taking algebra so yeah it's amazing (laughs) to think of it makes me feel old because it it was rolling out to universities when i was in college and it was like a big deal when the university of memphis got facebook like people freaked out Mm -hmm. uh so much so that somebody i don't know if this was at other schools if it was at your school if there was a fake Facebook at your school. I'd love to hear about this because I know Memphis, at least we, there was like a fake Facebook where someone basically just cloned it, but it was only for U of M students. And then the real Facebook came and everybody abandoned ship really quickly. But it, it, it is incredible because it's hard to think about the modern world without Facebook. And that's to their credit, right? They have grown to such a size and such a breadth that w- Facebook in a, in a lot of ways has defined the last decade or more of like online society, like like the internet culture and and the the moves that they make, whether it be with news outlets or pivoting to video, rest in peace, or whatever it is, those ramifications are felt all across culture, right? And that is something if if fifteen years ago I don't know if anyone would have. I certainly wouldn't have predicted, right? I was like, oh, what's the thing for like college students to see pictures of the party they mm-hmm. didn't get invited to? Uh, my college life was not always <laughs> exciting, but uh, it's grown into this like massive thing, right? And and that's where Facebook continues to get into trouble, where it has grown so large and so powerful. And I think to a degree, they internally don't understand the the power that they that their platform holds. And I think that's why they do these decisions that they think are small or no big deal, and then it like blows up, and they they seem caught by surprise i think it's because they're actually caught by surprise and that that's that's worrying to me and i think it's something that like we just continue to see these stories come up and uh, i don't know how it ends for them yeah i was thinking about the idea i don't know how it ends because once we're in this situation how do you get out of it but um i was thinking about if 15 years ago you had said okay the internet is here and it is it is going to reach everybody and there are going to be devices invented very soon that everybody's going to put in their pocket and it's literally going to be every single person basically on the planet is interconnected via high-speed internet connection all right um and there's going to be inevitably you know you don't have to be a necessarily a uh, give away all the secrets because it would disrupt the timeline or something um there's going to be a global essentially database containing every single person and their relationships to every other single person and people can choose to share information and pictures and and kind of control like who sees what but it's like literally the database of every personal relationship on planet earth do you think it's a good idea to put that in the hands of a single profit-seeking corporation 
no one would say yes, right? No one would say yes. That sounds like a public utility. That sounds like something that should be part of the United Nations or a consortium of governments or a nonprofit organization that's, that's uh, you know, I don't know what the structure is, right? Because the problem is finding a structure for something that powerful. But I'm not sure a guy who'd never run a company before, who just got out of college, having absolute power over this database of all humanity i exaggerate a little but not a lot like that's a bad idea and that's facebook that's where we are i don't know how you unravel that um i feel like it's inevitable right like it was inevitable that everybody on the internet would be able to say hi here i am and here are the people i know and that you'd build what they call a social graph right for the entire planet i i think that was going to happen regardless but could we have picked we would not have picked something as bad as a single person with all the power who'd never really had any responsibility before and is now in charge of a giant profit-seeking corporation. Like, why would you do that? And that's where we are. I don't know how we get out of it. I mean, regulation, regulating them to death is probably how we get out of it. <laughs> that's a good segue to our next story, isn't oh, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just it strikes me that way. Yes, Facebook... Uh, I thought we could go a week without a Facebook gets uh, slapped on the hands kind of story. It didn't happen. Didn't happen. Facebook ordered by Germany to mix and and gather less data. And the idea here, uh, and this is this is just a German uh, regulator of competition, actually, which is an interesting way to approach this. And you don't see a lot of this because a lot of this stuff is handled by the EU, but not all of it. Um, this is saying that what Facebook needs to stop doing is combining data from a bunch of different places unless users consent. Because this is one of the ways that we know Facebook assembles these data profiles on people is they take WhatsApp and Instagram and Facebook. They take information from uh, third parties and from other parts of Facebook. And you think, oh, they don't know anything about me, but there's one connection and the other person knows something about you. And then they put it together into your dossier, basically. And what Germany is saying is... Um, stop that, that that is, that is anti-competitive and obtrusive. And that if you want to try to mix all this data and build a, a single dossier about a human being from disparate services, you can't do it without permission, which would be, you know, again, who knows where this will go, but it's, it's another log on the fire of trying to stop Facebook from doing what it does as a matter of course. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story too, because like if you put a checkbox saying, Hey, if you want fa if you can opt into this, like people don't read that stuff. They don't understand it. It doesn't feel like enough to me to say like, Oh, just like, uh, if you're okay with this, let them do it through this box. Right. Like, and this comes like there, there've been stories for a while now. Facebook, I think said publicly, or someone said that, you know, they're not doing it this year, but like mixing data from Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram, something that historically Facebook said, at least with WhatsApp, that it was going to be like a separate thing. And if they begin to mix these services and the data from them more than they already are, like Facebook and Instagram advertising, I believe shares common data. I know for, for instance, for me, I don't have a proper Facebook account, but I have an Instagram account and it seems to know very little about me as a person and the ads that it serves. And I can't help but think that's because I may have, uh, it has limited data about me. Right. I don't, it's not tied to a Facebook profile. But yeah, I mean, as they 
continue to buy services. And that's kind of what Facebook does, right? They buy these companies who have audiences that Facebook proper doesn't have. Right. As that continues, they're going to draw more attention like this. And I think totally fairly that if, you know, going out and buying Instagram means that you don't have a real, a real competitor in terms of photo sharing on the, uh, on the internet. So maybe we should really get, uh, you know, put rules and regulation around how you can manage that data. Yeah, I've definitely seen people maybe more than I, I have in the past in, in recent weeks talk about the possibility of actually breaking up Facebook, which I'm not sure what legal grounds there are because is it, I mean, it is kind of monopolistic in some ways, but the internet makes it harder. There's always competition on the internet, but I do, I do think about that sometimes of like, well, yeah, Having Facebook uh, not be allowed to have WhatsApp and Instagram, for example, would definitely change the power dynamic. Um, but Facebook has gotten very good, as we know from that uh, that other story that we've talked about in the past, which came up again uh, last week. The um, the Onovo uh, VPN story about how they were using software to figure out. Uh, but to watch people's traffic and figure out use patterns. And that's how they figured out that WhatsApp was growing in popularity and they bought WhatsApp. Like this is their strategy is if there's another social network that's growing, we'll just buy it. And then it's part of our, our social graph and it's part of our database. And uh, you know, nobody is stopping them from doing that, but it, it is also true that they're under way more scrutiny now than when they bought Instagram. Nobody, nobody really cared. They're like, oh, Facebook bought an app. That was what ba- people thought when Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars. And it turns out um, they were buying a lot more than just an app. But at the time, we weren't mm-hmm. really thinking about that. And, and certainly the general public wasn't thinking about it. Definitely. Okay, we have more to talk about. But let me take a break and tell you about our first sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Linode. Linode lets you instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. You can get a server up and running in just seconds. You choose the Linux distro. You choose the resources and node location. I've got one. It's super easy to use. I got to pick my obscure Linux version. I got to choose the Dallas data center. I got to do whatever I wanted all on a simple, easy to use web browser. Linode takes care of their customers. They have 10 different data centers all around the world, and they're about to add more. Mumbai in India and also in Canada will have data centers before 2020. Linode features native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors. You're able to serve your customers even faster than before. And so you don't have to stress about overspending Linode has designed its pricing tiers to feature hourly billing with the added bonus of a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services such as backups and node balancers. It's super simple. I use Linode for all of my sites and I know what my bill is going to be every single month. There are no surprises. Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Plans start at 1 gig of RAM for just $5 a month. Amazing. And there are high memory plans too, starting with 16 gigs of RAM. Linode has a special offer for listeners to this show. Go to linode.com slash download FM and use the promo code download FM 2019 to get $20 toward any Linode plan. On the 1 gig plan, that is, do the math, for free months. And there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, too. So you have nothing to lose to give it a try. Go to linode.com slash download FM. Use promo code download FM 2019. You'll learn more, you'll sign up, and you'll make the most of that $20 credit. Thank you to Linode for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. 
All right. Now, before we get to Spotify buying all of podcasting <laughs> with Natalie Jarvie, uh, here's the story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar this week and you may not have noticed about it. The Verge reports about Google Assistant Interpreter Mode, which is now available. You can translate 26 different languages on your smart speaker. This was something that was demoed at CES. And The Verge has a delightful video of Interpreter it's Mode so where they go, they set up a, a, a Google Home uh, with, a, with a screen and all that at a concierge desk at a hotel. And The uh, the Verge reporter who speaks uh, Mandarin or Cantonese, I don't speak Chinese, but speaks a, a Chinese language anyway um is trying to, she's going to speak uh her language to the english speaking concierge and the whole idea here is let's let's see how this works and it doesn't <laughs> yeah this uh, i picked this because like having a computer in between two people who don't speak the same language interpreting for them for some reason i, I don't really know why maybe i saw it on a Star Trek as a uh-huh. kid, and it just stuck with me. This feels so futuristic to me, but like also so obvious. Like, why can't computers just fix this? Yeah. Right? Like, the, this is why we have computers, right? So people can communicate. And it's it really struggles. Uh, at one point, uh, the reporter, I believe, she says she's allergic to shrimp, and Google interprets that as I'm allergic to sand. So <laughs> that's not great for yeah. those of us with food allergies. But, but it it. They're getting there, right? Like, and Google's probably better at it than anyone. But I just really so, something about this. Like, I just want this to work. Right? It feels like such like a fundamentally futuristic thing, and uh, it's it's got a little disappointing still. Yeah, they're getting there. I lo- still still not quite here. I think yeah, we've reached the point where it's um, it, it, it the tech is possible enough that it's no longer a Star Trek pipe dream. It's reality. But the reality is disappointing, which I feel like is almost inevitable, right? That when you shift gears, you fall into that uncanny valley a little bit. You shift gears from the possible to the real, and um, the real is never going to live up to it. And then you have to grind to get it back up to being good enough. And that's where Google is right now. That's where everybody is right now. Um, it's a little disappointing that they showed this off, and then you see it in action. You're like, yeah, mm, it's not really there yet. But we live in hope. I mean, like, I love the idea that at international hotels, there will be a desk you could go to if you don't speak the language and somebody will be able to help you with a with machine assistance if nothing else or you can use your phone for that google's been talking about that a long time i it does feel like um not science fiction anymore that in our ar future if you're wearing some like ar glasses or an earpiece or something and you talk to somebody who's speaking another language we are going to get to the point where you can do an almost real-time translation in your ear of what they're saying and then vice versa um but right now it's you know you need to have like what app are you using and all that you have to communicate things that don't make sense which is why the google home on the desk seems like such a good idea because uh you can see the translation written and you can hear it um it's just not there yet it's a little it was fun it's a funny video but also kind of painful right because um, mm-hmm. even though it's a demo you start to feel for the poor woman who's trying to get her point across because it is not getting across it is <laughs> like she asked for for like uh, restaurants and entertainment or nightclubs or something and that immediately is botched so then the rest of the conversation is about restaurants because it's completely lost part of her question yeah it's not great it's not great maybe one day Maybe one day. All right. We are now joined by Natalie Jarvie from The Hollywood Reporter, who is an expert on the intersection of digital media 
and uh, the entertainment industry to talk about a story that is uh, quite interesting from this week. Spotify is apparently planning on spending maybe up to $500 million in various acquisitions. According to one report I saw, they have bought Gimlet Media, which is the course makes a bunch of podcasts including homecoming which turned into an hbo series and startup and reply all and they also bought anchor which is a company that may have even sponsored this podcast at one point that makes tools to make podcasts and uh distributes them and also is a got a kind of an ad insertion plan that they're working on to distribute podcasts so spotify is spending a lot of money on podcasts to try to diversify out of just being a music service what do you think what is the uh, what is the strategy here by Spotify? Why are they suddenly so hot on podcasts? Yeah, so Spotify has decided to tell everyone that they're now an audio company. They're not just a music Hmm. company. And, you know, podcasts is a big part of the growth in audio. Uh, So I think what we're really seeing from them is, you know, Spotify knows that they already dominate the music streaming space. That's great. They've, They've had this interest in podcasts for a while, but because Apple has been the dominant player in the podcasting space for so long. Spotify has some catching up to do. And, you know, there's no better way than to acquire market share than to go out and buy a couple of companies that are kind of leaders in the space. So, uh, you know, that's really what's driving uh, these two acquisitions that they announced this morning. Uh, Now, why they want to be an audio company and not just a music company, I think that they're seeing an opportunity to, again, um, you know, widen their market share when it comes to their subscription products and their free ad supported products, get more people on board, keep them there longer, you know, offer them more than, than just music, uh, when they come into that ecosystem. It sounds like, I mean, one of the things that struck me is that uh, most music services are exactly the same in terms of their catalog because they're Mm -hmm. all just sort of using all the catalog from all the labels and, you know, Tidal has done some exclusives and all of that, but really everybody has everything. And so if you're Spotify, how do you differentiate? I suppose one way to do it is not just integrating podcasts, which, you know, Apple keeps in separate apps, um, but also to uh, have some of your own stuff. I assume down the road, at least some of the stuff that, that, uh, uh, Gimlet is producing or will be producing will be uh, Spotify exclusives, whether it's for long term or or short term, and that gives them some you know something that you can't get with the competition. So that gives them a little bit of an exclusivity thing, which we see on the video side all the time, but we haven't really seen very much of it on the on the audio side. Yeah, we've not seen a lot of windowing of content in the audio space, and it will be really interesting to see how Spotify and Gimlet do that. They're going to have to be pretty careful. I mean, the Gimlet has a lot of you know devoted fans to their podcasts, and if suddenly one day you wake up and you can't get it on Apple or however else you get your podcast, that could be a problem. So for right now, what they're saying is that those podcasts that you know and love, you know, Reply All, Startup, uh, Heavyweight, the like, those will all continue to be distributed everywhere. Uh, but I would not be surprised if additional, you know, future new shows do become Spotify exclusives in some way or are windowed on Spotify for a time. Gimlet actually has has done this a, a bit with Spotify already prior to this deal. So they created a show called Mogul for Spotify, and I'm pretty sure that was always just a Spotify exclusive. And then they also announced that their the new season of their show Crime Town would be a, a Spotify exclusive. 
Hmm. So they've started to, you know, experiment with how they're windowing their content. And it gives Spotify some options, right? They can do something where they release it as a podcast and everybody can get it. But they can also do it where it's uh, just on Spotify um, or they can do it, you know, Spotify subscribers get it without ads. But if you are on the free on the ad tier, you get it with ads. And if you subscribe with a podcast and then you mentioned windowing, the more traditional kind of time window is also a possibility where things premiere. Um, what Stitcher just did that with some of their stuff where i think their their marvel project the wolverine podcast that that had a uh you know i forget what six month window something like that where it was exclusive to stitcher premium and then they rolled it out to everybody so they've got they've got a bunch of different things to play with in order to kind of like benefit you know i don't don't know uh, make people want to subscribe to stitcher but at the same time not turn away the rest of the audience which is probably a lot of uh they on the web they call them eyeballs i guess they're that's a lot of ears (laughs) that's weird uh the the they can reach that are outside of Stitcher still if they want to, or I mean, outside of Spotify. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would be smart for Spotify to continue to distribute these shows widely uh, in many cases because that will help, you know, drum up audience and excitement around the show. Uh, and then maybe season two is a Spotify exclusive or something like that. You know, there's a lot of different ways that they can handle it. It will be interesting to see how they choose to use their dual platform, their free ad supported product and their, you know, subscription product. Uh, and you know, if there's some kind of interesting things they can do to kind of tease content outside of the paywall and then draw people in that way. Uh, we haven't really seen them do that yet. So that will be an interesting space to watch going forward. What do you think about the competition? We've got um, Apple, you mentioned, which basically has decided to be kind of a benevolent neutral zone for um, audio content for podcasts up to now. They sell audio you know, books in their bookstore, but basically for podcasts, they are the biggest player and they basically don't make any money from it. They, they just are there with their directory and their app, which is very popular. And then you've got something like Amazon, which has, um, has uh, owns Audible, which has kind of tinkered with podcasts, but it's sort of been out in the audiobook realm. Google, I know, tried to jam podcasts into the Google um, subscription music product and then seems to have uh, somewhat backed off of that now. Um, it, it are, is, is the podcast world um, delineated enough to really have direct competition or is it all still kind of like a mess where nobody really knows where the battle lines are going to be drawn? I think it's still really early. I mean, clearly Apple is the leader in the space. Uh, to your point, you know, it's, they're not taking a cut of ad revenue right now. It's free for consumers to access their app. There's a lot of benefits to, you know, distributing on Apple. And if you can get into that, you know, kind of featured, uh, area of, of the app, I mean, that can be huge for a company in terms of drawing audience, uh, to their platform. Now, the, the thing to note about Apple though is that, you know, that's, that's an app that's endemic to Apple phones. Um, it will be interesting to see if a Google can ever really launch a podcast podcast app that could, you know, be the equivalent for Android phones. Um, I think right now, while that market is open, there's a really good opportunity for something like a Spotify to come in and and capture that market share. But they have to be looking at, uh, you know, the fact that all it would take is, you know, some of these other big, you know, tech companies that also own, you know, own the phones, own the distribution platform, coming in and and changing how they do things and and. It suddenly it could be a lot harder for them to compete. So 
this is, I think, about them getting ahead of, you know, what that competition mm. looks like in the future. I mentioned Amazon and Audible. That one thing that I think is a challenge for a uh, service like Spotify is that we have thought of them, as you said right at the top, uh, as a music service, and now they want to be an audio service. Google did try that with their music subscription product, and I don't think it worked. Um, and and what Amazon is doing is basically said podcasts are like audiobooks. They're not like music. We're going to put it with our audiobook system. Um, what do you think about Spotify's chances here? Because the, they are trying to change how people think of Spotify as a brand. Can they reposition this and get people off of off of music and onto podcasts? That's going to be a really great question. I mean, people forget that a couple of years ago, Spotify tried to also be a video company. Mm-hmm. You know, they were going out and licensing video clips and original series. That didn't last very long because I don't think that was the right use case for Spotify. People were so used to just plugging in headphones, listening to Spotify in their car, you know, that type of thing. So audio makes a lot more sense for them. You know, f- focusing on podcasting, it's still the same kind of experience. Uh, you know, but it is, it is a good question. And, um, you know, I guess it kind of, you have to think about it like someone who gets in the car and is on their way to work. If they're not listening to the radio, they're probably listening to music streaming or they're, they're listening to podcasts. And if, if Spotify can own both of those, then that's a really huge, you know, benefit and, and kind of leadership position for them. Uh, but they will probably have to encourage more people to switch off of that playlist and over to the podcasts. Um, and that, you know, that could be a challenge for them going forward. I heard somebody say that they thought, I mean, I obviously my mind went toward the exclusivity thing, but also there's a return on investment story here potentially, which is every minute that a Spotify subscriber is streaming podcasts instead of music, given the way that the royalty system works, that's money that Spotify isn't paying out to the musicians. Now, obviously, um, if it's podcasts that they've created, they have, there is some sort of cost there that has to be amortized. But I thought that was a really interesting thought as well, that maybe it's actually a good business move for Spotify to try and uh, convert a bunch of music listeners into podcast listeners just because it saves on the uh, royalty payments that that, uh, Spotify is paying, especially since some people feel that they're paying not enough and that they might end up having to pay more later. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think also it's interesting to look at the fact that Spotify hasn't really been able to figure out how to work around the labels. You know, producing music is really expensive and they haven't necessarily become a, you know, a producer of original music, uh, but they can become a producer of podcasts via a Gimlet acquisition. Uh, So, you know, they get to now own that IP in a way that's really lucrative too, because now they can also look at, you know, tap into the the pipeline that Gimlet has that is in you know, adapting podcasts for film and TV. And that's a great business. So, you know, it is beneficial for them to, you know, be both the owner and the distributor. You are a careful observer of what's going on in the streaming service side for video. And we talk about that with you a lot. And you read a lot of articles about it. Is this analogous to that a little bit? I know it's early yet, but are, are we are we headed toward peak podcast here? Or do you think that this is going to play out uh, very differently? Obviously, the scale of making podcasts, I can attest to this, is a lot less than it is to make a TV show. But still, I get some feelings like this it seems like another front in this great huge land rush where big companies are trying to say you know stake out stake out land stake out claims to certain kinds of uh, streaming media because they know that this is where all of the eyes and ears are going 
It is a little bit like the Netflixification of, of audio mm. now, right? If we're moving towards a, a subscription for everything, um, now subscriptions for podcasts too, potentially. Uh, but you know, I think it's still really early for the podcasting space. Uh, yes, we're starting to see some acquisition. He is stuff media got acquired by iHeartRadio, iHeartMedia right. earlier this year or late last year. Uh, you know, so that's starting to happen. But if you think about it, it's still a pretty small business, especially when you compare it to video. And, you know, there's still a lot of people in the United States and abroad who are not listening to podcasts. So I think maybe we'll look back at this as the start of kind of the the peak podcast phase, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's the end because there's still a lot of people who have to latch on to podcasts. And I think there's still a lot more kind of, you know, professionalization of the podcasting industry that still could happen in some way. You know, it, it companies like Gimlet are pretty rare, uh, that, you know, own all their own, own IP and, and are producing these really successful shows. There's still only a handful of them out there. And I think we'll probably see a lot more people still try to get into this space before we see any kind of a bubble burst. One last question I have for you. We've talked about Apple a couple of times because they do seem, uh, there's such a huge player in the podcast world, even though the podcast world, I Talking to people at Apple, Apple. like within Apple, podcast is almost irrelevant. It's such a small part. And yet it it is a a giant in the podcast industry, which tells you something about the relative size of the tech industry and the podcast industry. But one thing that they have done up to now has been this kind of neutral conduit. Um, They've got their app and they've got their directory, but they they don't do anything else. Uh, Given what Apple's doing in some other areas where they are uh, investing in video content and they're trying to build up a bunch of different subscription services, and we'll probably see a bunch of them this year uh does you know, do you think that apple would ever consider kind of leaving its position as the neutral party in podcasting and do make some moves of its own here you know they have not said anything that makes me think that they're going to do that but you always have to be leery of a company especially a big profit-driven tech company like apple giving something away for free that can't last forever and I have to imagine that they're thinking about how they can, you know, make money off of this business, especially to your point as they're trying to grow their services business and looking at new kinds of subscriptions and ways to keep people in their ecosystem. So, you know, how that actually manifests, you know, that kind of remains to be seen, but, but 100%. I mean, they easily could start doing, you know, the same kind of thing that they do currently with their app store where, you know, they take a cut of, of the, the revenue that's brought in. Um, you know, or maybe they sell access to the data that they have. You know, there's so many different things that they, they could do if they want to start, you know, turning on monetization of podcasts at yeah. some point in the future. Or create some original content and put it in Apple Music. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to play it, but so far they've kind Absolutely. of been just, uh, just hovering and I think thinking about other areas and maybe podcasting is so small right now that they can afford and they're so big in it that they can afford to just kind of hover for a while and see what happens. I don't know. Um, well, thank you so much for being on. It's always a pleasure to have you here. And this was a, a fun story where you and I were going back and forth on Twitter about it because it's like, you know, get the popcorn out for what is going to happen with Spotify. And I guess there will be more to come, right? Like, uh, if the reports are true, they're intending to spend more money than they've spent so far. So there will be more mergers and acquisitions in the future from them. So more more for us to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're saying they could spend up to $500 million in acquisitions this year. So they're certainly looking to buy. It'll be really interesting to follow. And, you know, I think this is one of those stories where podcasts are so personal because they're in your ear and you're, yeah. you know, you're, you're in your car or you're, you're on your commute to work and, 
it, you just feel so close to it that I think a lot of people, this, you know, this acquisition really resonated with them in an interesting way. And, um, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out for Gimlet and for the people who love those shows. All right. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Uh, people can find you at what Nat Jarve on Twitter and also at HollywoodReporter.com, right? Yes, indeed. I have learned. I have learned. Well, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. There's more to come here on Download. Jeremy Burge is next to talk about emojis. But before we do that, let me tell you about our other sponsor this week. It's Burrow. Your home is important and you want to come home to somewhere that feels comfortable, maybe even looks stylish, and be designed to fit you. Burrow believes that high-quality furniture should be more accessible. That's why you can easily customize your own sofa online and have it shipped fast and free within that same week. The Burrow sofa adapts to your life. It's scratch and stain resistant, so you don't have to worry about spills. It has a built-in USB charger unbelievable. You can charge your devices right from your sofa. The fabric is totally free of harmful chemicals. The frame is made from sustainably sourced hardwood, and it's a sofa that grows with you. You can make burrows bigger at any time by adding new pieces, and you can easily set up and disassemble with no tools required. Burrow sofas are designed for comfort. Customize every detail. Pick comfy low armrests or stylish high ones. The proprietary the proprietary foam is supportive yet super cozy, and don't forget to check out their line of stylish pillows and throws made from soft, hand-woven fabric ready to complement your new sofa. Burrow was recently named one of Time's Best Inventions, so you know you're going to be amazed. Save $75 by visiting burrow.com slash download. That's B-U-R-R-O-W, burrow.com slash download. $75 off your order. Thank you to Burrow for their support of download and all of Relay FM. All right, it is time to talk emoji with the chief emoji man at Emojipedia, Jeremy Burge. Jeremy, welcome to download. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be back. It's a busy, busy uh, time for you because this is when the final list has been approved by the Unicode Consortium. Now that means you, that includes you, right? You were a part of this whole process too. That uh, includes me. It's my favorite footnote to write on the bottom of every article. Every time I write anything, if it mentions the Unicode Consortium, got to put a little disclaimer. Emojis, Emojipedia is a Unicode member, and I get the vote. So yes, partly me, partly a bunch of other people. Right. You're you're one participant in a larger process that takes a lot of time. We should. Uh, point people uh there's a a great podcast that uh mark bramhill made about um how emojis are born <laughs> um is that right? Is it, is it, was it Mark's podcast that did that? Yeah, it was, it was Mark's yeah. podcast. He, yeah. yeah, he proposed a, a yoga emoji, and I guess it's a good view from sort of the outside. You know, like he's, he's a person that's just a member of the public and decided to propose an emoji, so it's sort of his perspective from the outside of what that feels right. like interacting and going through the process. And there's a whole process that is involved in this. Uh, it isn't... Uh, entirely like there's a an emoji czar who says yes this will be an emoji there's a whole process about this a committee there are proposals there's discussion there can be revisions you're trying ultimately you're trying to add um you, you what what's the philosophy here you're trying to serve maybe groups that have been missed filling in the gaps that perhaps exist in the emoji set where uh certain communities and uh uh, groups are not being represented. Is that one of the, the big goals of uh, doing new emoji? Yeah, it's sort of two-pronged. And I get it. I, 
It depends on who you speak to. A Unicode don't sort of have a universal position on it. They don't say we Unicode sure. want to do this. They sort of they accept what feel you know when collectively that is a decision about anything. And then you know in retrospect, I guess they'll sort of say, well, this is good because this set does the following things. So it's almost like a fifty fifty split. Half of them are just sort of popular things, mm. fun things, animals, food, all that sort of stuff. And then you absolutely get the gaps. And for me, I don't know. I just feel like personally that with all the sort of human gaps that they really do need. If, if emoji stops one day, if we don't add any more, you kind of want to flesh out the human race first. If we don't end up with every object under the planet, that's fine as far as I'm concerned. I think it's quite good, though, to get the get the proper view of the human condition on onto mm. the emoji keyboard at least because it's it's it feels unfair right if if sort of when there were only white people on there that's a weird thing to have happen and right. there's plenty of other groups not on there so that's sort of what's happening slowly year by year now you put a chill down my spine there when you said if there are no more emoji we finish this <laughs> is there any chance of that in the near future <sighs> I don't see how it would happen. Part of me, whenever there's some sort of, whenever there's an emoji that I think is sort of unnecessary, you know, there's sort of a chair in this release, or there's a razor blade, and there's things that are fine. They're totally, they're non-objectionable, but there are some where I kind of think, do we need that? Is that really, how much is that adding? <laughs> Which, incidentally, I just got an email from someone from an architecture magazine, very interested in the chair emoji, and I was literally typing some kind of tweet about saying, you know, maybe this is like one we really didn't need, and and then they're saying, oh, we love this chair. It's so important to have more architecture and more wow, objects. So wow. It, you just it, don't know. I, I thought you were going to say that the chair is going to be this year's bagel, where there's going to be great great uh, debate about what kind of chair should be represented in the... I believe they were the very area. interested. I have, I've only skimmed the email, but I believe there were lots of questions about how is this type of chair decided? And what about the, the couch or the sofa? You know, who determined the, mm. the design of that and which one to choose? So would there ever be no more emotion? I think it could happen, but it's, it's got to be someone that really feels confident to draw a line in the sand. Right. It's easy to slow it down, but who wants to be the person to say never again? And then right. what happens the next year when you find a big oversight and you go, oh, okay, one more? Right, right. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, we should point out, too, that uh, you've got a post about this that we'll put in the show notes, and there's art depicting the new emojis for 2019, but this is Emojipedia sample art that you commission um, because the way it actually works is that Apple and Google and Samsung and Twitter and ev- and Microsoft and everybody else, they will make in their own art style, they will make their own images. So the bagel controversy was not that you commissioned a weird bagel or that the Unicode consortium defined the bagel weirdly. It's that Apple's designers had a weird bagel that people complained about and then they fixed it. So, <laughs> so these are just your, your uh, visualization of how they generally will be rendered, but it's nothing official. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, every now and then, what happens for us is that Unicode also have charts where they'll show, sometimes they'll show the proposal images, but the problem is that, you know, the average person submitting a proposal, yeah. they're not necessarily a designer, and it's kind of weird because they don't feel like a set. So, at least we, we kind of, yeah, we commissioned for Joshua Jones, he's our, been our designer ever since we started doing this, and we'll kind of do it, we, we pretend we're a vendor. We think, all right, if we handed this set, what do we do? So, sometimes we kind of ignore what Unicode says, if we think, no, if we were a vendor, we would do this. I think uh, the underwear in this release, there's an emoji called briefs, mm-hmm. and it's vaguely meant to be sort of like a Speedo men's they're, swimwear. They're, they're, they're tidy whiteies. 
Yeah, but but we were sort of like, what's the point of that? Does anyone want that? And it's cold briefs. So I think if if we were a vendor, if we were Apple, we might just make it. I think tidy whities are funnier and maybe yeah. have more range than there's already all kinds of other swimwear. So there's decisions like that where maybe maybe someone doesn't like that and maybe Apple doesn't do that or Google, right. but we'll have to see. Okay, you talk about uh, one thing is to reflect the human experience and all that, um, and it looks like a lot of uh, what we've got in this round are going to be that. Uh, especially, I noticed um, uh, more wheelchairs, uh, definitely support for uh, deaf people, and also yeah. we have we have um, prosthetic arm and leg and a cane so that it was that the idea that basically these are these are uh communities that had not been they couldn't find themselves in the emoji set yeah exactly the, these ones all came from a set from apple apple rarely proposes new emoji they've proposed some hand gestures in the past and they've made very minor things here and there but normally they're pretty happy they'll provide feedback behind the scenes but they rarely come out the gate with a big proposal but they did that last year in march and they proposed just about all of these the people in a manual wheelchair and a motorized wheelchair the people with a cane um the deaf sign and the a hearing aid. So yeah, the, literally that's just Apple deciding, look, our users are clearly requesting this a lot, or if they're not, we also just want to serve our users and Apple sort of very big part. I don't know. I feel like a core part of Apple's brand is accessibility and yeah. it's something they are good at and they're known for. So it made sense possibly not to be too cynical about it, but also from a marketing perspective that Apple go, this is win-win, right? We get to serve users who are underrepresented and it fits in with our brand and there's sort of no no downside to them to doing that. Right. And then there are also like uh, service dogs and uh, and standalone without people in them, cane and wheelchair and all of that, that that's a part of it. Also, um, it looks like there is um, a much bigger mixing and matching of couples this time. Yeah. So until now, Unicode has sort of been not wanting to recommend uh, what they call multi-person grouping. So any emoji that looks like it has more than one person in it, the technology already supports it. Windows has been doing it for two and a half years now where right. they allow every family member to have different people. But uh, Unicode d- doesn't like to recommend things if they don't think all vendors are going to do it. Right. They don't want to come out with a list and say, here's a thousand new emojis and have Apple and Google just ignore the, ignore the list. So this is the first time that Unicode has recommended 70 emojis the people holding hands all allow every skin tone and that generally implies that the vendors have sort of committed to doing Uh that um so it's always been possible to do this like a vendor could have just done it themselves but by being on the list it almost makes it certain that it will actually happen which means that apple somewhere on google and microsoft they must have people working on a different keyboard picker to pick these because (laughs) seriously you know yeah it's it's not going to be possible with what we think of today as the as the picker for this because there are so many different options because you are setting the the uh the the skin tone for every single uh person in the in the image separately right that's that's uh, yeah yeah there's not every combination there's a couple so what there is is for instance if you have two men holding hands only you can't pick and choose which order the skin tone goes in which halves the number of emojis so you can have Ah. a man with dark skin and light skin but you can't choose to put the dark skin man on the right necessarily that you know there's only one order Hmm. and that minimizes the number to some degree making it a bit more practical all right. All right. Especially since that they are holding hands so that you can't just sort of like pop down two drawings of men next to each other because they're they're uh, not uh, symmetric. They 
they've right. joined. But so that when we did our sample image, we originally did put the two standing people next to each other, thinking, "Oh, that'll look good," but it doesn't. You know, you yeah. zoom in, and they clearly look like two men deliberately, or two women, or uh, two people. There's gender inclusive people there. It didn't look right. You needed to draw them literally, actually holding hands, or it was kind of pointless. So, what else in here should we be paying attention to? You've got some new animals. You've got some new food items. You've mentioned the sort of swimwear and other clothing. Um, the and colored shapes. Should I should I ask about the colored shapes? There are a bunch of. Uh, you're, you're, it looks like there was some shape color fragmentation where not all the squares were all the colors, not all the circles were all the colors, and not a lot of people use those. But people do use those symbols. So I guess you were trying to. Uh, the, the idea there was to get a little more uh, uh, just regularity in the colors of the symbols. Yeah, it was sort of. It's one of those things that sometimes Unicode doesn't want to add anything new. They sort of think, oh, slippery slope. You know, right. if we add one heart, what about another heart? And this one was sort of biting off the whole lot. There's always been proposals for different colors, and the hearts because they're so popular. Every year, there's normally one new heart, and it's kind <laughs> of weird that you know you get an orange heart, and that's the only thing this year. A black heart. This year, Unicode's just gone fine. If we're going to do this, we're going to pick the colors, and then all three shapes get every color. Even if brown heart hasn't been popular or <laughs> requested much, it's just a matter of kind of going, we don't want to do one shape a year for the next right. 20 years. We're just going to do a bunch and people can do what they want with them, which I think is kind of fun. I think people will use it a lot. So do you get lobbied about like people's favorite animals? I'm, I'm wondering why, you know, why do we have a sloth this year? Why do we have uh, an orangutan this year? <sighs> animals are fun. So... Partly, I mean, people feel strongly about their animals. People seem to sort of align themselves with their favorite animal, and you put that online, and there's suddenly 10 million sloth fans sort of emailing and texting people and and setting up petitions. These particular ones, the stats would have stacked up, Um, as in you provide stats particularly to show things like Google Trends, YouTube. one of the animal experts on the emoji subcommittee looks up things like uh, visitation rights at zoos and how many huh. people look at each animal. Um, and then every now and then, I believe there's a complicated thing above Unicode. Unicode has to work with the ISO standard as well. And what ISO do, this is, I think I'm allowed to say, that, yeah, this is public. Um, <laughs> sometimes ISO kind of put in their own request kind of straight to the top. So the skunk here didn't come up through the Unicode process. I believe someone at ISO kind of basically said, we really want a skunk. And because Unicode and ISO need to agree to make the Unicode standard come out, sometimes you get kind of an emoji that might not actually stack up popularity-wise, but it's Mm. done to pragmatically get a release out the door. I'll tell you, um, as somebody who has had their dog sprayed twice by a skunk, I could have used the skunk emoji to express my feelings about that so i'm happy yeah, I mean, that there's going to be a skunk it's emoji fine. yeah i think most animals work That's... pretty well i think they're generally i'm a bit down on household objects i find some of them like like the chair and some objects i just find a bit unnecessary perhaps but i think mm. animals they've always got i don't know we, we kind of humans we we give them extra uh personality anyway and i think they can fill a pretty good gap like smileys and people and like depending on how they're designed i know our um the otter we've sort of got the hands together and a lot of people sort of think it's a bit like a, a mr burns style like a little bit of an <laughs> evil otter so depending on how apple or anyone else designs that some of these could be kind of flexible as like emoticons more than just the animal 
right? Because they have they have a meaning beyond their many of them at least have a meaning beyond their their literal meaning, which gets and like yeah, the up. sloth hanging in there. You know, that's kind of like oh, look at me, just sort of hanging out. He's kind of got this chill sort of vibe about him. Right. So yeah, I think those it will really depend on how they're designed. But at least we try and give them a bit of personality at this stage to make yeah make it feel real. You know. Um, and I feel like uh, Flamingo and Sloth have been very in the zeitgeist recently. So perhaps that some of the, the demand is just sort of the Instagrams and, and people loving all that. So what have you got against the yo-yo emoji? That's what I'm really asking here. <sighs> I mean, they made a decent case in the proposal for yo-yo. You know, it's sort of a like a flip-flop as far as mentally my yo-yo on a decision vaguely, like change your mind. They sort mm. of tried to make the case it's metaphorical. I don't know if it honestly <laughs> will be used as a metaphor for anything. Uh, I, I struggle to think when I'd ever send the yo-yo. I don't hate it. It's fine. What do you think? Would you use the yo-yo emoji I, and how? I don't. It, 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 I don't know. Possibly, but <laughs> I. I. It, it struck me as kind of strange, along with like the hatchet and the the, the razor. The razor I can see if you're uh, somebody's shaving and they're announcing that they've shaved their beard off or whatever like that. And the band aid makes sense. Sorry, band aid is a brand name. The uh, the plaster the. Yeah, it's called an adhesive bandage in the Unicode standard. That's right, because you can't endorse a brand name. That would be ridiculous, but it is. That one makes sense, right? Because somebody's going to get a boo boo and they're going to say, look, I had to. I had to to take care of this cut or whatever. Uh, um, And a golf cart. Is that a golf cart officially? <laughs> no, this this is uh, a, a tuk tuk, like it's an auto tuk-tuk. rickshaw, uh, sort of used in uh, India, South. Uh, a lot of Southeast Asia has these sort of, you know, an open air taxi like yeah, um, yeah. vehicle. I guess they're kind of golf carts. It's kind of like a golf cart. I bet people in America use that as a golf cart. Uh, I reckon, but yeah, it is yeah. a tuk tuk. That's the, the moment you said it. I was like, oh yeah, that's what that is. I see that that happens too. Um, you know, it's fun. These are fun. I love it. I, I was saying to Stephen earlier that. Um, some people roll their eyes at the emoji thing, but the fact is we all communicate or many of us communicate with them and it solves a lot of problems in terms of uh, messaging with just text where text leaves out a lot of nuance that emoji kind of adds back in. And it should be a big story every year because as I said to Stephen, imagine if uh, every year they added a couple of letters to the alphabet, that would be kind of a big deal. People would want to know about it and people do care. People get really excited when those, as you and I have talked about before, when those releases finally come out in the fall and they're, and there's that definite FOMO period where people are like, why am I seeing a square? What emoji yeah. are you texting me? People want the newest emoji as soon as they can get them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's a, a lot of people get it. Some people still don't, I say, get it. What A funny thing that happens every year for me is sometimes I'll be speaking to sort of, I guess, some members of the mainstream press about something else. And I'll mention that, oh, you know, the new emojis will come out in a month. And they go, oh, that's fine. I'll say, you know, it's normally a pretty big story. So feel free, you know, if you want to cover it or anything. I think, oh, no, we're good. Like, doesn't seem like. And then I get an email the day it comes out because the uh-huh. entire internet is blown up. They're seeing it sort of number one trending on Twitter. It's on everything. And they're kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess we should have covered yeah. that. I guess that is a big deal. But I think for some people, it feels quaint and not important. And, and they don't quite realize that, no, there's millions and millions and millions of people who hang on every single emoji, just that might be different ones. Everyone has a different one they care about. Right, that's true. For somebody, the, uh, the, the uh, juice box will just yeah, be huge the ballet be shoe a lot of people onto that uh, the pinching yep. hand has been uh, uh, appropriated for for many purposes to mm-hmm. sort of it's uh, to show a small gesture a bit of something there was a meme of sort of uh 
I'm this close to losing it, but it's also ended up with, as usual, alternative meanings as well. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I, I checked Jeremy's uh, Twitter feed for that, by the way, if you want to yeah, learn yeah, some things uh, about modern culture and I'll phrases just use that your we imagination. Didn't know. Yeah. How would yeah, you, yeah. How would you use a little thumb and a finger? Maybe you're not personally, dear listener, but uh, someone else might. Yeah, per- perhaps. Jeremy, it's always great to talk to you about emoji. I imagine we'll talk again at some point later in the year because, as you say, this will become a huge topic when uh, they roll out, when Apple and other vendors reveal what they're going to be doing, uh, what their representations are. That can often mean a lot of nuance, changes, and then uh, that moment where everybody's uh, freaking out because their friends are selling, sending them emoji they can't get. So I'm sure we will keep talking about emoji is what I'm saying. But thank you for being on Download this week. Hey, no worries at all. I'll speak to you later in the year. Now, before we go, we have one more thing, which is, of course, traditionally the Fuzzy Puppy update. But if you remember last week, we had the imaginary slash invisible slash spirit bear that saved that person. (laughs) Uh, And Stephen, you were really excited about the the bear update and suggested that we might do some bear updates in the future. I did some searching. The problem is there's not a lot of bear stories out there. And so this week I have what I'd like to call Stephen Hackett's Tennessee Bear Update which is just for you as a resident of Tennessee. It's getting more and more specific. I see what you're doing. (laughs) Good news, everyone. Um, So they they found a guy out in the woods in Tennessee, uh, and he was dead, and he had been gnawed on by a bear. And I thought to myself, oh, no, the friendly spirit bear who helped that kid, the invisible imaginary bear, got hungry hungry and did not help this guy. This guy asked for help, and, um, and the bear ate him. But I got good news, Stephen. Um, he died. The guy died of a meth overdose. Oh, oh boy. Um, and then the bear gnawed on him. So the bear was not guilty of any crimes. I'm canceling the bear update. You made my (laughs) state look like people who take meth and die in the woods and get eaten by bears. So I mean, eaten by bears is good. You've you've beaten this out of me. All right, just I I I wave the white flag. We can go back to puppies. So please, all right, go back to puppies. Okay, here's my fuzzy puppy update then. Okay. Uh, a an animal control officer in Oklahoma was summoned to the site of a house fire where there were puppies, three puppies that were in the uh, that were in the fire and they were brought out and they were limp and non-responsive. And what did the animal control officer do? And there's video of it. He did the thing that that uh, was kind of gross. He said, but he, it had to be done, which is he did some mouth to mouth. He basically blew in the uh, puppies' mouths and and got them to start breathing and cough out a bunch of the 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 smoke and stuff that had uh, stopped their breathing. And uh, he took those three puppies that were non-responsive and they all were revived. In fact, two of them, he was also worried about the the heat and uh, and and wanted to to cool down their lungs. And so he actually had somebody's truck uh, that he had them crank the air conditioning up and they put them in there too. And, uh, the puppies are fine. So good job, Chris Brassfield, animal control officer in Oklahoma. Thumbs up. You, uh, saved three puppies. Uh, no other reported injuries in the, uh, in the fire and uh, cause nobody was home, but the puppies were saved. And that is how you do a fuzzy puppy update is what I'm saying. No bears. No bears. No bears. We're, we're back on back on topic. All right. It's good. It's a it's a relief. Whew. Dodged a bullet there. Anyway, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Download. Thanks again to Natalie from The Hollywood Reporter, to Jeremy from Emojipedia, and to Stephen Hackett from this podcast. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> You're welcome. And we'll be back next week, but until then, we will just keep on watching those headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.